Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35, through chapter 10, verse 8. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother, Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. The word of our Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. We give you thanks and praise for the gift of this day, and we pray that as the sunshine pours in on us today, you would pour your spirit into our lives. We give you thanks and praise for the gift of your word and the privilege of standing under it. We pray that you would help us to hear your word well. May my words be faithful, and anything that's unfaithful to your word, let it pass away. But if we hear your voice today, make us bold to follow, to trust you and to follow you into uh, the love that you have in store for us. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds, that they might be acceptable in your sight. We pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know about uh, you, but I suspect, like, you've spent a lot of your life being told in a variety of ways and from a number of angles not to be part of the crowd, right? We we are supposed to be wildly individualistic, extravagantly individualistic, right? Express yourself, don't repress yourself. And then, immortal words of Madonna, don't be like others, set yourself apart. When I was a kid, I was... I was kind of a geeky kid. Um, I'm sure for a small fee, Kate would share pictures of me uh, in my 
figure skating outfit or something, you know. <laughs> Five bucks, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my dignity is cheap. <laughs> I was a nice kid, you know, in the, in, which was not really an advantage in the kind of rough around the edges town I grew up in. And I, I had this kind of knack for social blenders, you know. I consistently said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing. And so the cultural expectation could have been an invitation to let my geeky little light shine. But golly, there were times when I wanted to know that I was part of the crowd. <laughs> And of course, there's much to be celebrated in the fact that we are, at least in theory, able to be free to be who we're meant to be, who we're created to be. Conformity, in some cases, can be deadly. But I want to begin today uh, by saying, kind of unequivocally, that where our gospel lesson starts, it's okay if we're part of the crowd. Jesus is on this preaching and healing tour. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. As the message puts it, he's, he's healing their diseased bodies, their bruised and hurt lives. And when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now this may not be you, but if it is you, you're welcome here. If you're feeling a little bit harassed and helpless, uh, that's okay. In fact, if you've watched the news recently and you don't feel ever harassed and helpless, I'm a little worried about you. <laughs> if you're feeling a little aimless and disjointed, that's okay. There are strong cultural forces that encourage that. They make us easier to sell things to. You know, the, 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 the aimless and disjointed, the harassed and helpless are excellent consumers. It's okay if you're finding yourself a part of a crowd of folks with bruised and hurt lives. And I think at least part of the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is that Jesus, uh, that Jesus is on about is that it's not about selling us the next wonder cure-all. It's not about another delightful distraction from the world as it is. At least part of the good news of the gospel is that we're not just offered something, but we're offered someone. Right? Part of the good news of the kingdom is the invitation to draw near to the God who has drawn near to us. The kingdom of heaven has come near, is the proclamation. The one who has compassion is close. We're invited to know that this one doesn't just disregard our pain and tell us to be true to ourselves as if that will fix everything. But the one who draws near enters into our suffering. That's what compassion means. To suffer with. Not to stay in that suffering, but to lead us into healing and wholeness. We are not sheep without a shepherd. At least part of the good news of the gospel of heaven's kingdom is that, as our psalm for today puts it, we are God's people, the sheep of God's pasture. We might feel harassed and helpless, aimless and disjointed, sin-ravaged and soul-sick, but that's not ultimately who we are. We are sheep of the Good Shepherd who will cross heaven and earth to find us, to gather us in, to make us whole. And I want to acknowledge that there's a kind of a trite way that one can say that, right? As if Jesus really is a magic pill that kind of fixes everything and gets us back on the track that we think we should be on. And maybe will help us lose 10 pounds to boot. I don't know. 
I, I remember the Anglican priest, Sarah Miles, uh, says that she, uh, when she met Jesus, she was a successful journalist, living a nicely ordered, happily atheistic life, commended by the world around. And when she met Jesus, it didn't feel like she was being saved. <laughs> it felt like the Lord was messing her up. And that can happen. Now, Jesus isn't interested in being a kind of vaguely uh, spiritual addition to the lives that we would cobble together for ourselves. He wants more for us than that. I think there's also a way to appeal to Jesus' goodness and compassion that's kind of a sneaky way of saying that if we just believe well and hard enough, everything will be okay. It'll all be banquets and overflowing cups, right? In other words, it's still actually all up to us. And I don't want to say that at all. But I, I do want to feel the invitation to know the one who comes close to us, not only when we've got it all together, but exactly when we don't. The one who invites us in, not when we've got something to offer, but when we've got nothing to offer. The one who won't burden us with more self-help and tell us just to live, laugh, and love, but the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? Ours is the one who invites us to know that the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else, as Psalm 23 puts it. The one Peter is talking about when he says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. The one who invites us not to get our acts together, but to abide in Him. To be present not only in our strength, but even more in our weakness. To come to Him harassed and helpless and let Him show us some compassion. I think this can't be overstated. You know, we, we need to know that we are loved and cared for when we don't have it all together. When we don't know what to do. When the weight of the world is overwhelming. We need to know that the kingdom of heaven draws near to us, not when we deserve it, but precisely at the point when we can only receive it. We need to know that, because that's when we really start to experience the healing that we're made for, the wholeness that we're made for. When we can start to recognize the power and wonder of knowing that the Lord is my shepherd. It's such a beautiful... I mean, I think probably most of us are familiar with Psalm 23. Several of us probably have it memorized, so we kind of forget about it. It's such a marvelous prayer. Go home and pray it today. Emphasize every word of just that first line. The Lord is my shepherd. Right? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth is mine. The Lord is my shepherd. Not could be if I was just a little bit more one way or another. The Lord is my shepherd. This is something we get to know deeply, profoundly, more and more. The Lord is my shepherd. We have one who will guide us and care for us and bring us home. That's a reality that's so easily distorted. And one from which we get so easily distracted, which is why we keep coming back here to be reminded. Right? It's why we gather again at this table, uh, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus invites us. It's why we have the gifts of prayer and Scripture. Why we need to carve out time in our lives to simply attend to the fact that we are deeply and extravagantly and eternally loved right down to our most unlovable parts and before we ever do anything to make us worthy. Right? When we are harassed and helpless, we are loved. 
There's compassion for us. Knowing that and resting in it and trusting in it is where our deepest healing happens. And it's also where we're most deeply equipped to share in helping to heal others. Which I think is the goal, right? You know, Jesus wants us healed and whole because he loves us, full stop. But because he loves us, he also wants us in on what he's up to. He's looking for folks who want to be agents of grace and mercy, of hope and peace and joy and love. He's inviting us to experience his compassion and then share it with the world. He wants holy mischief makers, people willing to upend the death-dealing ways of the world. He wants people eager to subvert the diabolical demands of a culture that runs people ragged, insisting that we are what we make of ourselves and we get what we deserve and our accomplishments are all that matter about us. He wants people in offices and classrooms, on work sites and laboratories, in retirement homes and hospital wards, wherever you find yourselves, who are creative in compassion, ready to work for something other than the kinds of cultures that leave us feeling harassed and helpless. Whatever our day jobs or our retirement activities, you'll get off the hook just because you're retiring. <laughs> our first call is to be laborers in the way of Jesus. People ready to gather in and redistribute the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I mean, think about your sphere of influence, where you spend your time, who you find yourself around. And what does it look like for you in those contexts to first of all receive the compassion of Christ, to know that refreshing knowledge of God's love for you even when all you can feel is harassed and helpless. And then to share it with others wherever you are. And maybe that sounds like a great idea. Maybe though you feel completely ill-equipped to be a laborer for the kingdom of God, in which case that's good. I think it means you're onto something. <laughs> which is to borrow a well-worn phrase, that God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the call. Right? God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the call. It's a pretty well-established fact that that band of 12 disciples that Jesus collected was not an especially promising bunch. A quarter of them were fishermen and one of them was a tax collector. None of them are trained evangelists or theologians. At least two of them are almost certainly teenagers, full of all that energy that comes with teenage boys sometimes. Philip and Bartholomew, James Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanian, we don't really know anything about, which suggests to me there's not much to know. <laughs> and all that can be said about Judas is that he will eventually betray Jesus. This is not a very promising bunch of people, right? <laughs> Let's just acknowledge that if you're picking a group of guys to promote a social movement of eternal consequence, this would not be it. Which is exactly the point. They are not powerful. They are empowered. They are not powerful, they are empowered. They're not chosen for what they bring to the table, they're sent out with something they couldn't have brought to the table, something they could only be given, something they could never have earned. The authority of the compassionate God to share that compassion with others. They've been sent out in the freedom not to avoid the hurts of the world, but to be agents of healing in the midst of them with the permission to pray extravagant prayers to the God who loves to give good gifts, with the guts to chase off the spirits of violence and division, of indifference and greed, of apathy and selfishness, of sickness and sorrow that, that, that leave people feeling harassed and helpless. 
know, this, this is important. We, we're not mostly called just to believe things. I mean, it's good if we believe things. <laughs> but we're mostly called to be disciples of Jesus. We proclaim the kingdom, but then we live it. We don't just proclaim good news, we embody it. Disciples are people learning to do what their teacher does. We're apprentices in the way of Jesus. Disciples are those who are given authority to represent their teacher wherever they are. Wherever we go, we are given the authority to be agents of God's compassion. Wherever we go, we are given the authority to bring healing and life to damaged and dead places. Wherever we go, we are given authority not to live according to the way things are, but for the sake of the way they will be when every belly is filled and every tear wiped away. As disciples of Jesus, wherever we go, we go with the authority of heaven. I think that's something we forget if we ever knew it. Right? I, I certainly do. I don't think I spend all day, every day, walking around with the authority of Jesus. And maybe the very thought of it makes some of you squirm. I mean, in, this, in our tradition, we, we don't always like authority. We're a little wary of hierarchy, sometimes for good reason. We certainly don't want to be like those Christians who want to tell everybody what to do. That's not, that's not our way. We're too polite and Canadian. So it's important to recognize that this is actually about the shape of our discipleship. You know, how we are learning more and more to be like Jesus so that when others experience us, they experience something of him. The one who doesn't grasp at power, but the one who empties himself for love's sake. When we claim Christian authority, authority in the way of Jesus, we claim the freedom to live and share in the love of, and grace of God and nothing less. And I'm pretty sure you can't yell love at someone. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure you can't force grace on someone. I'm pretty sure that if what we're doing is manipulative or degrading or if it fails to take the humanity of our neighbors with cosmic uh, seriousness, or if it looks more like fear or bitterness or anger than disdain or hope or joy or love, we are doing something else. We're not living in Christ's authority. We're grasping for something made in our own image. And it's good to remember that even if we're sent out into the world with all of the authority of Jesus, we are not Jesus. <laughs> we don't have to fix everything. I think it's interesting that he, he tells his disciples not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I'm pretty sure that's not because he doesn't care about Gentiles and Samaritans. Certainly by the end of the gospel, the disciples will be sent out to make disciples of all nations. I think Jesus is telling them to start with what they know. I mean, there could be a more interesting or subtle theological thing going on here. But what I'm hearing is the call to be faithful where we're at. We have to be faithful where we are, wherever we are, before we can be faithful somewhere else. We get to be faithful where we are. I think our, the first steps in sharing the, the, the closeness of the kingdom, the compassion of Jesus, the healing we're coming to know, doesn't have to be in a language we don't speak with people we don't understand and food we've never eaten before. And some people are specially gifted for that, called to that work. And if that is you, come up, we will bless you, and we will find you a one-way ticket to wherever it is you think you're called. There is no doubt that God is eager for the nations of the world, healed and whole and gathered into one humanity. And Jesus is glad to lead us out of our comfort zones. Don't get me wrong about that either. 
But most of us aren't called to take the gospel to far-flung corners of the world. Most of us are called and equipped to be faithful where we are. To let our peace rest on the places we find ourselves. To pray for the people we find ourselves alongside. To learn to speak the hope that is ours in the language that's most familiar. I mean, you may be here today just needing to know that hope at all. Maybe for the first time. That you are welcomed into the arms of the compassionate God who made you, who knows you better than you know yourself, and who loves you more than you can imagine. And if that's you, let him love you. It will take your breath away and then give it back. (laughs) Or maybe you're here and you're feeling that, that, that call to claim your holy authority to be faithful to the will and way of Jesus in the places you spend your time and with the people you spend your time around a little more. Maybe you're feeling Jesus' call to cause some holy mischief in your office or your classroom or your work site or your retirement group. <laughs> what do you people do anyways? <laughs> you know, that call to invite folks to know this good shepherd of ours, the one whose goodness and mercy is chasing this world down. That's you. I invite you to be bold. And if you don't feel bold, ask for boldness. Because God loves to give good gifts. Or maybe you've been at this a long time and you just need the reminder of who you are, you beloved little sheep. Called and equipped. Given everything you need by the goodness and glory of God to be an agent of heaven here and now. May you know that deeply. And wherever we're at, we may all be floating around in there somewhere. Wherever you're at, my prayer is that in all things we draw near to the God by the power at work within us. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is able to do abundantly far more in us than all we can ask or imagine. That our lives would be lived to the glory of that God in Christ Jesus and in the church. Now and forever.